Good evening and welcome everyone. It's fantastic to be back after a nice long break. Hope everyone had a wonderful Pesach. We, uh, I'm excited to be starting chapter 36. We had chapter 36 already? I apologize. Chapter 35. Wait, I jumped a chapter. Thank you for correcting me there. And you know, we have, we have an expression, every, everything in its moment shines. Everything in its moment shines. And it's so true. You know, every part of, every, everything we learn, you could just live with that thought itself. Tanya started the first eight chapters, taught us about our soul. Taught us the map of our soul. Chapter 9 to 18, through seven, 9 through 17, discussed the fight of the souls. 19 through 25, spoke about the hidden love within us. And 26 through 34, spoke about depression and, and sadness and how we could handle it. Each one of them a section of its own. But tonight we're starting a section about the purpose of creation. It's such a deep and, and an important topic. The purpose of creation. Why are we alive? What does God want from us? And uh, truly, truly I feel chapter 35, 36, 37, the next three chapters are, are groundbreaking. And... I am certain everyone will leave these classes with a new perspective on life and an appreciation for what we're doing here. You know, tonight's chapter 35 itself is called The Primacy of Physical Deed, Action. And this is an interesting point. Many people oftentimes will share that I study Torah, I learn. And as I've, given the example many, as I've given the example before of a couple, a spouse, where the husband does what he thinks his wife wants, but not what his wife wants. Or not what the, you know. We don't do what, you, what we think our beloved wants. We need to do what our beloved wants. And the same thing is when Hashem is telling us He wants us to do Torah and mitzvot, if someone says, I love God, that's not going to cut it. We need to do what God is asking of us. So, that's what we're going to be talking about, the physical, the physical deed. But to lead us into this, I want to remind ourselves of two items. Item number one is, the whole Tanya is an explanation on one verse in the Torah. One verse in the Torah which reads, Ki karo So, so it's in Deuteronomy. It says, the ability to do Torah to learn the Torah and fulfillment of mitzvot, is it, it's exceedingly close to you. It's exceedingly close for you to be able to fulfill the Torah. So when people say it's so hard to be a Jew, the Torah says otherwise. The Torah says it's, it's exceedingly close. The Mishnah says the only, only free person is someone who does the Torah and mitzvot. For another time, a fascinating insight. But the Torah is saying it's exceedingly close, but listen to the wording. The ficha in your mouth, it's exceedingly close for you to do the mitzvot connected with your mouth. Uvil vavcha, it's exceedingly close for you to do the mitzvot connected with your heart. The last word of the verse, which kind of summarizes and puts together the whole verse, says la'asoso to do. 
the primacy of the physical deed. So why is the physical deed so important? Why is it so important that we actually light the Shabbos candle? Let's learn about the idea of light. Let's learn the idea of the woman bringing light into this world. Why is it important for us to put on tefillin? Let's learn about the... Why is this important? And that's question number one. Question number two. We know that there are three types of people we learned earlier. There's the wicked, the Russia. There's the tzaddik, the righteous. And then there's the... Can you remind me the name? The Bainani, the intermediary. And the Bainani, the definition of the Bainani is someone who always wants to sin but never sins. Meaning the animalistic soul is constantly driving you crazy saying sin, 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 but he constantly controls himself. If there's no fight within him, if the animalistic soul is not saying sin, 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 then he's a tzaddik. At the moment you've removed your animalistic soul, you are now at the level of a tzaddik. The average person is not able to accomplish that. The average person is one who is constantly, constantly has this fight, but has the ability to withhold himself, withhold himself back from that fight. Are we able to change our animalistic soul? The answer is no. I've just said that the Bainani will constantly, for the rest of his life, be fighting. We don't have the ability to change our animalistic soul to the godly soul and an animalistic soul, and it's a constant fight. Right? Like two countries that are constantly fighting, they never stop. It's a constant, constant fight. So, so what's the purpose of this fight? Well, why are we fighting? It's a constant fight. What, what's, what do we need it for? What do we need it for? Right? Par- parents say, like, what am I bringing my child into such a world? What? It's a scary thing. What do we need this constant fight for? Does anyone know the answer? We learned previously in Tanya an answer. Previously we learned that Hashem loves the fight. Hashem loves to see His children able to withhold themselves. Like we said, the analogy of the child... Like I... You want to close the door? And it, thank you. Like I told you, the analogy of the child who is being tested by his father and his father wants him to pass the test. But the test is important. His father loves the test. He loves him passing the test. So what really is the question? The question here is much deeper. We know the animalistic soul is the body. The animalistic soul is in the blood. Remember Dr. Malo gave us a class a few, almost two years ago about the blood or the heat of the blood that brings the animalistic soul within it. The animalistic soul is the body. The godly soul is within the animalistic soul. The godly soul comes within the animalistic soul. So to this, we don't understand what's the need for that. Why is it necessary for the animalistic soul, for the godly soul to come within the animalistic soul? If it's all about God watching his children pass the test. So let there be a boy. And let there be a, someone trying to, to test the boy. But why does the boy and the test need to be the same thing? Why does the animalistic soul, why does the godly soul need to be within the animalistic soul? Two questions. Let's summarize the two questions. Question number one is, why is the deed so important that it's the last word of the, of the Pasuk? What's so important about the deed? And second of all is, why did our animalistic, did our godly soul need to come within the animalistic soul? Let them be separate. Why this constant fight? 
Why this constant fight? Let's, let's see these two questions inside of Tanya. Let's see them inside. If we could open up our Tanya to chapter 35. Page 156, chapter 35. Tanya is going to start off with these two questions and then we're going to go into beautiful, beautiful mashal. Chapter 35, let us elucidate further the term to do it. La so-so. So Tanya is, isn't clarifying so clearly, but the question is, why, page 156, why is it that the passage concludes with the word to do it, what's so important about the action? Question number one. Number two, let us also understand, in a very small measure, the purpose of the creation of Bainanim, the intermediates. Hashem created this intermediate. And the descent of their souls into this world, the godly soul comes, to be closed within the animal soul which is derived from the klipa and sitra so the godly soul comes within the animalistic soul. Why? Since they will not be able to banish her, the animal soul, throughout their lives, for the, the moment the child is born, we, uh, we understand that unless they're obeying any, they're going to constantly be fighting. Forever. Forever. Nor to dislodge her from her place in the left part of the heart so that none of her impure fancies should rise to the brain. We can't even remove her. We learn that the godly soul is in the right part of the, of the heart, the animalistic soul is in the left part. You're never able, the, the intermediary can't move the animalistic soul from the left part of the heart. So that none of her impure fancies should rise to the brain. We're, it's going to constantly, her, the ideas of the animalistic soul will constantly be coming to the brain. Inasmuch as the very essence of the animal soul derived from the klipa remains in the bainanim in her full strength and might as at birth. So the bainani has an active and alive animalistic soul that's not going anywhere. So what's the reason for this? Well, what do we need this for? Okay, however, just continues Tanya, if, if the animalistic soul is so strong, how does this person not sin? Except that her garments, the garments of the animalistic soul, do not invest their bodies. The intermediary is able to hold back his animalistic soul from sinning in thought, speech, and action. But if so, if this is a scenario that we have an animalistic soul that's at its full strength, so why have their souls descended into this world to labor in vain? You're trying to build a building, you're trying to get rid of the animalistic soul, and it's never going to happen. You are laboring in vain, God forbid, to wage war throughout their lives against the evil nature which they cannot vanquish. If you can't get rid of the animalistic soul, so we're toiling in vain. And we know that's the worst thing in the world. We know the Egyptians, we know what was so cruel about the Egyptians in Egypt. It says that they would make the Jewish people build something and it would collapse, and then they would make it build again. So God is bringing us into this world, but we're never going to be able to accomplish this task. Two questions clear? I want to tell you two things, interesting, in general. Number one is, whenever you start a class, you always want to start with catching someone's attention, right? Tanya, or in general, when you learn, learn Hasidus, you'll see we always start with questions. We may get back to the questions in six months. But this always, at the beginning, we're going to... Point A, point B is, 
If you look at the first question we asked in this chapter, it's cryptic. It's not so clear. The f- we're on page 156, and where did it mention the, the specific verse that this is referring to? It mentioned the verse um, in the introduction on page X, X. It had mentioned on XVII previously. So how do I... So why is it so hard for... Why didn't Tani just say clearly the question? Why is the last word of the passage last so Tanya is called the Torah Shebek Sav. It's called the written Torah of Hasidus. And if you look at the Torah, God specifically, intentionally, wrote it as, as short as possible. It's part of our job is to try and understand what it's saying. Do you know there's an entire chapter in the Talmud that discusses one letter of the Torah. There's one letter, an entire tra- chapter of Talmud is trying to understand what does that one letter mean. So it's part of our job is to try and really delve and understand what, what is being said here. And additionally, this shortened version allows for different interpretations, allows for us to try and make a chiddish, to try and come up and go deeper understand what's happening. Okay, so we have these two... Intru- we have these. I believe it's the letter Vav in a specific word. Um, I think it's in chapter Chulin, if I remember correctly. But I want to jump now to this beautiful analogy. And this is where Tani is going to be shifting. I made a little mess here as I was trying to think it through. But Tani is going to discuss the human and the candle on top of him. You know... There's an expression, Hachacham Einav Berosho. Anyone ever heard this quote in Hebrew? Hachacham Einav Berosho. Let's translate it together. Hachacham, the wise, Einav, Ayin, his eyes, Berosho, are in his head. Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all men, he told us something brilliant. That a wise man, his, head, his eyes are in his head. Okay, does anyone know anyone that doesn't have eyes in their head? It's a question. I don't the wisest of all men. Mark, I, you could say the, you could, you're the wisest of all men. It's not so hard, right? Your nose is on your head. Exactly. And then, then, then you... Yeah. What did Shlomo Malach mean? A wise man, his eyes are in his head. Wise. You all know about Shlomo Malach. Mm-hmm. The famous, famous Shlomo Malach. Yes, Gershon. Well, if we have this, we're always talking about the, the brain and, and the heart. Maybe if the eye, I don't know if that's crazy, but if the eyes were in the heart, we would be do we wouldn't be we wouldn't be allowing our brain to rule what we see. So if we see things maybe we shouldn't be seeing. It's better that it, it's attached to our brain. No, I, I think you're making a good observation that there's a reason it's in the head. But the question is, do I need Shlomo HaMelech? Do your children know where a human being's eyes are? If you would go ask your children, if you come tomorrow to a kindergartner and ask them where people's eyes are, where would they say? In what part of their body? In their back? In their, in their stomach? In their feet? What part of their body? They would say their head. He's, he's, not, he's not making a, a statement of anatomy. He's, he's trying to make a, a point. So you may have eyes, but you don't see. So this is about consciousness. 
You may have eyes that you don't see. I appreciate that, that, that analogy. I'm going to tell you something. I'm, it's not mine. The, the Zohar says something much deeper. No, and, and of course, everyone here is saying correct. Everyone is saying, is saying correct. Shlomo Melch is obviously saying something much deeper, whether it's consciousness, whether it's the reason the eyes are in your head. But the Zohar tells us, Hachacham Einav al birosho means a, a wise person is constantly looking on top of his head. Birosho could also mean on top of his head. In his head means he's always reflecting what's on top of a human being. What's on top of a human being? His, his hair. What's on top of his hair? A kippah. Okay, women don't have a kippah, but let's talk about that for a second. How does the head is where fontanelle is? No, he was saying on top of the head. The weight of the world. Why do we wear a kippah? Why do we wear a kippah? Because God is on top of us. So a chacham, a so a wise person is always thinking about God that's on top of his head. A wise person is always thinking about God that's on top of his head. That's what the Zohar is going to tell us in a moment. And it's going to say exactly this point. That, a, that we need to wear, that we wear a kippah because God is on top of our head. God is constantly here. And that's what I, at a later class, I'll share with you what it says here. But ignore for now. We're going to learn there's a human being. On top of the human being, there's a candle. There's a candle, and I... This is what I found, but it's, it's specifically an oil candle. Why? Because the human being is the wick. And the shechina, godliness on top of us, is the fire. But a wick, without, a wick and fire without oil is not going to work. So we also, need, we also need oil. What is the oil that's going to keep... The Shekhin on top of us. What is the oil? What is the oil? What kind of oil? What, yeah, what, what flavor of oil? Is it canola oil? Vegetable oil? Olive, what? Olive. olive oil. So if I pour olive oil on... So it's interesting. You're talking about anointing... Shlomo HaMelech, the Zohar is going to say, the answer is mitzvot. Remember the class is titled The Primacy of Physical Deed. Where you, this analogy is really going to take us into this. The oil to keep Hashem close to you is a physical mitzvah. Is a mitzvah. Let's see the analogy inside. Take it slowly, but it's, it's an unbelievable mushal. Uh, mushal, everyone's familiar with the word mushal. Let's use the word mushal here. Mushal means an analogy. A but mashal, a parable. Yeah, but this wouldn't be so much of a parable. Okay, here it goes. Says the Tanya. But let this be their solace. So we're going back to that question. You don't, you're going to get down. You're going to be sad. You're going to say, what am I doing? I'm fighting in vain. Don't worry. Be comforted. To comfort them doubly and helpfully. Be happy. And to gladden their heart in God who dwells with them in their Torah and divine service. Don't be sad. Why? Continues Tanya. To quote by way of preface, the comment of the Yenuka Zehar Parshis Balak. Yenuka is, is Aramaic for, my Aramaic experts, anyone? Is Aramaic for child. A section of the Kabbalah of the Zohar is called Yenuka. Child? Child. A, 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 child, a kid, a boy. Okay. In the Zohar Parshis Balak, the Zohar, the Zohar comments on each one of the Parshiot. 
we know like so when you read the Torah portion there's also a portion of the Zohar you could read for that Parsha so on the portion of Parsha Spalak the Zohar says on the verse the wise man's eyes are in his head Shlomo HaMelech says the wise man's eyes are in his head asks the Zohar where else are a man's eyes what even well, of course they're in his head but the interpretation of the verse certainly is as follows we have learned that a man must not walk four cubits bareheaded. And the halacha of the kippah is that Hashem is with you wherever you go and you shouldn't walk more than four cubits. Four cubits is six feet without a kippah, says the halacha. Why? The reason is that the Shekhinah rests on your head, on his head. And a wise man's eyes and everything he possesses are in his head, i.e., in him who rests and abides above his head. Okay? So a person is constantly is remembering and focusing that God is on top of his head. And if his eyes are there, if you're focused, he must know that the light which shines above his head needs oil. If you want that fire to stay there, you have to put fuel. For the body of a man is a wick, and the light is kindled above it. So you have the shechina, you have the godliness, which is the fire. You have the human, which is the wick. But we need the oil. And King Solomon cried, saying, V'shem and al let there be no lack of oil above your head, Shlomo Melech said. Don't, don't be lacking oil. For the light on a man's head must have oil. Meaning, good deeds. So if you want the Shekhinah to remain, you need the good deeds. And this is the meaning of the phrase, the wise man's eyes are in his head. The quotation ends here. So this is a direct quote from the Zohar. The Zohar says that every person is a wick and the shechin on top of you is the fire. We need the oil. The oil is the good deeds. The oil is the good deeds. So, we're going to, in order for us to understand the analogy, we're going to have to, the mushal, we have numerous questions. For one of the questions is going to be, what is Shekhinah? When you say godliness is on top of you, what, what, what does that mean? What, what, what level of, what, what level is Shekhinah? What is Shekhinah? It's quite a... Shekhinah is a female aspect of God? Malchus is a female aspect kingship Shekhinah in a sense yeah yeah but but what is that so what does that mean in our context what does that mean is that is that your soul that little spark that comes down that little spark of god that comes down that rests in each of us that's in you right but now we're talking that there's godliness on top of you so the female so aspect it's a, it's a separate it's a separate Shekhinah So that's a good question. Is it a separate Shekhinah? There's godliness within you and there's godliness above you. So we need to know what does Shekhinah mean. We're going to get to that.
Kahina is the receiver. The female aspect would be the receiver. So, yes, there is. Shechina means that that there is that there is godliness that is there on top of you. It's being received there, but for you to receive it, you still need to have the wick and the oil. But yes, I've, I've often re- think I've referred to it as like the, the divine presence or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it's not the same as just saying. You could just say Hashem is there. It's it's, it's not the it, It's not exactly the same because it it, it, it seems like doesn't allude to like all the the, the the most positive traits possible of Hashem. I mean, could you say could you st- say it again, please? No, 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 you're saying good. I'm tired. I'm not understanding. Um, I've always seen it referred to as the divine presence. And and I'm not saying there's no... Everything referring to a shame is positive. But there's something special about that. So, like if a person wasn't doing good deeds, for example, a shame would still be there. But, But there's like some additional spark or something that rests with... The it's a desire to connect, I think. Our, our conversation here is that we want, we want Hashem to unite with us, to become one with us. And Shekhinah is, is, the Shekhinah is able to become one with us. This is a part of Hashem that could, be, that could unite with us. Isn't a shochein a neighbor? A shochein is a neighbor. So is that related to the Sure, shochein means to live amongst you. Yeah. So, yeah, the shechina means that it's living within you. Yeah. It's dwelling. Shechina means to dwell, to dwell within you. But what, well, our task is to make it part of us. But let's see that inside. This is good. This is very good. These questions are going to really lead us into where the Tanya is going. But the first, the tiny first starts off saying, oil. Well, oil, oil becomes one with the flame, right? There's, when the, the oil burns, and it becomes, it feeds the flame, it feeds the flame but it, it's no more. The flame has taken it, and the oil has become part of the flame. Or has it risen? The oil? Is it evaporating into the smell? Because it gets burned. Okay, that was... So, what about the presence of Hashem? Say it again. Is it the presence of Hashem? Is what connects us to Hashem? Is that, how does that relate to uh, the presence that was in the tabernacle? Is that related? In any way, is it how would he lived among the amongst us when he dwelled amongst us? That's the presence of Hashem. Yes, yes, that's a good question, and we're going to answer that I think in the last few lines of this chapter. It's okay. a very good okay. question. So first, talking about the oil, this, the question is, why do we need oil? Why why can't we say, which we say in other places, Neir Hashem Nishmasadam? Why can we say that our soul is a candle? So let the Shekhinah come and 
to the sole of our candle. What's, why do we need oil in this scenario? You have a wick, which is a person. And you have a fire. So what's, what's missing that we need the oil? Light. But we know the light is the godliness. But we need it, we want, is the fire, the light, is the Shekhinah itself. It's the fuel that drives it. The oil so why can't our soul be the fuel? Because it's always battling the, the animal soul. Even better. So it's a constant. So you have a, a it, fighter. But it needs something to be able to overcome that, to, to ignite. If it's if it doesn't have anything, if it doesn't, in this case, good deeds, it's spending all its time... You're saying it's busy with other stuff. busy with the animals. I like that. I like that. Job. It's like, my foot couldn't be it. My soul couldn't be it because it has a different job. Like he just mm. said. Soul has a different role. Does it have anything to do with free will? That Hashem gives us free will and that these are the necessary ingredients or so here we're going to say that oil becomes one with the fire in order for the Shekhinah to come there has to be something that's going to fully unite with the Shekhinah and our soul our body no matter how lofty it is is separated it's already down here it's not able to be that oneness so again, we have a fire, which is, which is God, the Shekhinah. But that needs something to connect with it that's going to fully unite with it for it to stay here. And our soul alone can't do that. However, we'll continue that the mitzvot, when we do the mitzvot, those items are able to fully become one with godliness and keep the fire down here like oil like the oil becomes one with the fire the mitzvahs can become one with godliness to keep it down here let's see that inside the explanation of this figure the explanation of this idea whereby the light of the Shekhinah is compared to the flame of a lamp the light of the Shekhinah is the fire like we said here this the fire is the Shekhinah which produces no light nor clings to the wick without oil. So in order for this fire to remain here, we need the oil. And likewise, the Shekhinah does not rest on a man's body, which is likened to a wick, except through good deeds alone. And it is not sufficient that his soul, Nishama, which is a part of godliness from above, should act for him as oil to the wick. Our soul could be as great as it is, but it does not become one once it's down here with God. It does not truly become one with God. Once it came down here, it's already come through this process of contraction and separation, and it's a separate entity. So for the oil to be active for the soul for the godliness to remain here what is necessary he said it has to be physical it has to be the mitzvot why it's clear and understood to every intelligent person okay so everyone here is in, we'll see if you understand you're intelligent if you don't understand no no okay so it is what's what is what is the reason that the oil 
we need separate oil, it is that the nish- and the neshama itself can't be the candle. It is that the neshama of a person. Uh, I want to share this outside for a moment. No matter how great you are, you could be Dr. Malov, you could be Rosetta. No matter how great we are, our soul down here has added features that we don't like so much. Meaning, even if on not even if on high, on high it's completely pure. But the moment it comes down here, it's already gone through this transformation, and therefore will not completely unite with godliness. That's what we're going to say now. It is that the nisham of a person, even if he be a perfect tzaddik, wow, you're a perfect tzaddik. What does that mean? Serving God with fear and love of delights, the greatest level of fear and love of Hashem, this does not nevertheless completely dissolve itself out of existence so as to be truly nullified and absorbed into the light of God. No matter how great your soul was down here, it's already going to remain separate. It already has these added features to the extent of becoming one and the same absolutely. If you want the oil, it's going to become one with the fire. But the person remains an entity apart, one who fears God and loves Him. Yeah, Moshe Mendel has fear of God. He loves God. But he fears and loves... I shouldn't talk about Moshe Mendel is a tzaddik. I'll talk about myself. I fear and love God. There's I and there's God. We're not one. So therefore, our soul itself is not able to be that candle, the oil that's going to keep God down here. However, the mitzvot, mitzvot are directly from Hashem. We're doing exactly what Hashem has asked. They are pure godliness. They are the oil that could become one with Hashem, that the Shekhinah could stay down here. It is different, however, with the commandments and good deeds which are His will. Blessed be He. Hashem's will, Hashem's will is in the mitzvot. That is why there are some mitzvot we know are never going to come to pass. For example, does anyone know a mitzvah in the Torah? A negative mitzvah in the Torah that will never come to pass? There's something called a rebellious son. Do you know the story of the rebellious son? Some of you may say you know the rebellious son. But uh, the Torah is rebellious son. None of, none of you, none of us know. Different than the Haggadah version? <laughs> Different than the Haggadah. The Torah is rebellious son. It talks about in Parshas Kisetze, I believe, where uh, a child, he steals his parents' money to go and buy meat and wine. And he, uh, a, whole, a whole slew of things that he needs to do. And the Talmud says, this story is never going to happen. The extent of it. So why is it there? God is within it. This is God's wisdom. This is God's will. When the Torah says that if your ox gores another ox, the first time, you only need to pay half. A tam. And on the third time, you need to pay full. This is God's wisdom. We're not talking about some lawyer. I know you're a lawyer. I have a lot of respect for you. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we're not. We're not ta- this is godly wisdom. That's why Pirkei Avos, 
Okay, also you say during the summer, the Mishnah, it's such mundane things, such mundane things. What does it say? It says, I mean, what? Go, you should, uh, you should be. Moshe Kibel Torah, let me think of the first thing that comes to mind. Um, <coughs> the world stands on three things. Allah Torah, learning Torah, Vala. That, that's actually, I'm trying to think of something that's more basic that everyone throughout the entire world does. Um, about having a good reputation. A have a good statement. reputation. I'll don't judge your friend until you're in his place. The Pirkei Avos, it's, it's ethics. We, we call it ethics of our fathers. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, specifically this we read between Pesach and Shavuot, and because even the most mundane and basic things are directly from God, directly from Hashem. And the moment we separate Hashem, that's when we don't know, all of a sudden, not to kill, not to steal, all of these things get loosened if we don't have God that's telling us this is the way it is, the Ten Commandments, etc. So, every single one of the 613 mitzvot, the myth not to kill, every, every decent human society has a rule not to kill. But, uh, what? I said except in war. But, uh, but when we don't kill because Hashem said, then we're drawing down godliness in here. Let's see that inside. It is different, however, we're on page 160, left-hand column, fourth line. It is different, however, with the commandments and good deeds, which are His will, blessed be He. His will, blessed be He, is the source of life for all the worlds and creations. Nothing exists in this world without Hashem's will behind it. If Hashem does not want something to be here, it will not be here. Flowing down to them through many contractions, Tzimtzumim, and the concealment of the countenance of the will of the Supreme One, blessed is He, and the recession of the levels, so here we've learned now different ways that Hashem is able to contract Himself to come into this world. For example, we said there's contractions. We all know what contraction is when you take something big and you start trying to push it into us. So we're taking the tremendous energy of God and trying to limit it. The concealment of the countenance. If you go ahead and you put a... If the sun is shining and you put a curtain... So you're, all, you're just going to be getting uh, a, a, tr- a small ray. The sun's going to flow through. Even if you put these white shades up, when it's sunny, the sun's going to come through, but you're not anymore getting its essence. You're all of a sudden getting it through these partitions. And the recession of the levels, in addition to this idea of the contractions and the curtains, there's also a recession of levels, meaning one level leaves the smallest part till the next part. He sh- we, we call this conversation Seder Hishtalshalos, the order of creation. How did God create the world? Through the, how could God, which is infinite, 
How could God, which has no definition, create you and I? Create a world of trees, of frogs. Of, how did God create? Through this process. But nonetheless, no matter how far away from the process, nothing in this world will exist if at the beginning of the process it wasn't desired. Everything comes from Hashem. Until it was made possible for creatures to come into being, ex nihilo, separate beings that should not lose their identity as discussed above. Why did Hashem make the world in such a way? He wanted free choice. If Hashem would be revealed, then there would be no free choice. So by creating the world, by hiding Himself, so now I think I'm in charge. Maybe some of you think you're in charge. So now we have a decision to make. Are we going to go ahead and listen to God or not? It's our, it's our own individual choice. If Hashem would be shining down on us in a revealed way, there would be no question. So that's how it is when it comes to you and me. The commandments, however, are different in that they are His innermost will. Blessed be He. Everything in this world comes from Hashem, but, but they come through contractions. However, the mitzvos are different in that they are His innermost will, blessed be He. Panimius haratzayim. Without any concealment of the countenance whatsoever, Hashem is not concealed at all. When you do a mitzvah, you, you're actually the, you're revealing the pureness of Hashem and the vitality that is in them, therefore, is in no way a separate, independent thing, but is united and absorbed in His will, blessed be He, and they become truly one with a perfect union. So can I ask a question? Please. When you say contracted, there are some Kabbalah informations that I've been exposed to that talk about God and then going down through like ten stages until it gets to the final stage, which is the physical. Does Chabad also believe the same sort of structure, or is that something that is in some other? Quality? It sounds to me like you're talking about the ten attributes when you say. Um, just, yeah, it was like ten spiritual levels. Right, right. Going down until you finally hit the physical. We, however, Kabbalah tells us that you have those ten attributes in all four worlds. So actually, those are. A, a, a small detail of the bigger picture of how the world was created. Yeah. But yes, the answer is yes. Let, let's give an example. So, how many of you go to work because you love to work? I don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to wave. How many of you go to work because you need money and you happen to enjoy doing this, so you're going to make your money in this way? Well, let's flip it around. Yeah. If you had all the money in the world and you were happy, would you still be doing your job? Yes. No. 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 I do my job to pay the bills and to keep my family happy. There you go. So that's so now you're working. You have you're working in order to make the money. So the work is intentional, but it's there to be able to support yourself. So your inner will is to be able to have that money. But your external will is, I need to find a job to make the money. So let's apply this back 
Hashem's inner will is that there should be the ability to perform Torah and mitzvot in this world. However, it can't be done unless there's a world. Right? You can't perform Torah and mitzvot without, in this world without the, without the world. And you can't perform Torah and mitzvot in this world unless in it, you have all the details of it. So everything in this world is the external will of God. If the internal will, if the essence will of God is that there should be a world where we could fulfill Torah and mitzvot and make it a, a beautiful world. So that means everything that is necessary to make that happen is part of God's will, but it's the external part of God's will. Just like that analogy of, the, of going to work. You want to work. If you need money, you're, you, really, you're, you really want to work, but you don't want to work for the work itself. You want to work in order to make that money. So within the Torah, within the, the mitzvot, God's will is revealed. Within the mitzvot, God's will is revealed. However, everything else in, else in this world was created through this process of contraction and concealment, and God is not, is God is not, is not revealed within it. So now, how are we going to be able to have this oil that's going to allow... How are we going to have this oil, this entity that's going to become one with the fire on top? That's going to be through mitzvot. So now the analogy is clear. Shlomo Melech is screaming, don't forget about the oil. The oil is, is the mitzvot which can become one with the fuel, are the, the fuel which can become one with the godliness itself. That is the analogy. Any questions? No, no questions. No, no one... <laughs> This all was an introduction to next week we're going to talk about when we started, what is Shekhinah? You're saying the Shekhinah is here. What is the Shekhinah? And that's going to take us to actually really lead us to this point of why do I need to do a physical mitzvah? Why do I need to do a physical mitzvah? So I want to tell you, I want to tell you something. There was a, a yeshiva bacher who went to Eretz Yisrael, who went to Israel, mm -hmm. to go to yeshiva there. Mm -hmm. And there are different schools of thought. If you go to some yeshivos, they tell you you're not allowed to do mitzvos until you learn about them. There is such a school of thought. Not you're allowed to do mitzvos. Don't do mitzvos until you understand them first. Mm. However, it is our understanding that the exact opposite is true. Do the mitzvah. Mm -hmm. and then understand. We, we learned this Nasa, the, the Jewish people, Shavuos is coming up, the Jewish people said, Nasa, we will do Vinishma, then we will understand. Mm -hmm. So there was a yeshiva bacher who was in Israel for a month. He was in a yeshiva, and the yeshiva said, we don't want you to put on tefillin, just, just learn first. Feel comfortable. And he was on his way out of Israel, and he's in Ben-Gurion Airport, and he passes by, there's a tefillin stand there, mm -hmm. and he sees a yeshiva bacher, and the yeshiva bacher says, did he put on tefillin today? He says, no, I'm not allowed to. So, I don't know, if you know yeshiva bacher, they'll put on tefillin before he had a chance to say yes yeah. or no. <laughs> so he's in the middle of putting on tefillin, he puts on tefillin on his way out. And, and later he sheared, he said, even, even internally he felt mm -hmm. that that was a turning point. Sometimes doing the mitzvah, mm -hmm is what's going to be able to have the effect on you. Mm -hmm. So let's summarize and we'll conclude. So in summary, 
We start off with two questions. We ask why is the primus is, is the most important of the physical deed? And that's the conclusion of this passage. That is exceedingly close to you in your heart, in your mouth to do. Question number one. We, so question number two is why did God bring us down here to put our godly soul into the animalistic soul if it's futile, if we're not going to be able to accomplish anything? Those are the two introductory questions. We then shared the analogy, the mashal, which said that the human being, or the, the soul, is the wick, and on top of us, the reason we are a kippah is because on top of us, God is there. But how are we going to connect? By having the mitzvot. Why do we need mitzvot? Why can't our soul do it alone? Because the soul is a separate entity from God. The mitzvah is one with Hashem and could be that fuel to become one. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you.